So uh, Bobby was going through kind of the eras of time. He stopped at postmodernism, which is the the uh, really the era that we're in right now. And so I'm just going to continue to redefine some of these things. I want you to look at this graph. You should have it. Uh, actually, you don't have this. So you can redraw it. Focus on the, the words going down, starting in the middle going down. And so it's uh, you, you know it looks almost like a, you take the earth and you slice it in half. And so you start with worldview there at the core, beliefs, values, behavior. Your this is why worldview is important because the way that you act, okay, the things that you do come from the things that you believe, or or, or really what you value rather. So you act according to what you think is important. And then your values come from what you believe. What is belief? Belief is defined by what you think is true. Who defines truth? Is it you or is there absolute truth out there? And then your beliefs come from your worldview. Your worldview is at the core of really every single thing that you do or what anybody does. And so if you follow the scale going up, worldview is what is real. Your beliefs is what is true, and your values is what is good, and your behavior is, is what we do. What is postmodernism value? Postmodernism is the era that we're in right now. What does it value? Okay. So I heard self, sex, tolerance. So self, sex, tolerance. Anything else? All those are true. Stuff I heard. Money. What? What else? Fame. Yeah, freedom. Almost all-encompassing. Freedom to have any kind of sex you want. Freedom to have uh, to make money by any means. Um, it, 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 with with one exception, I would say the postmodernism would say as long as you don't hurt anyone, and which is really the hedonist view. That is, the Satanic Church believes this. The Satanic Church, basically, their core doctrinal statements is you can do whatever you want as long as you don't hurt someone else. But here's the problem with that: is essentially they define what hurts someone else, and and so and that that's always interesting because it's like okay, if I want the I want the freedom to have sex any way I want with whomever I want whenever I want, the, the assumption is that that doesn't hurt anybody. But I'll tell you, being a, a pastor or someone who sits with people who are often hurt by those decisions, uh, often, uh, always, then uh, whether they know it or not, essentially at some point in their lives they find out, oh wow, that, that did have consequences. Sammy started with ideas have consequences. And so this whole postmodernism view is we want the freedom to do whatever we want. And what the problem with that is, is we want the freedom from integrity. Okay, but it's, as I said, it's not whatever we want because there are, there are some boundaries to this. You can't hurt anyone. And so you, you see what drives these things in the news. Who, who knows, like, I don't know if you watched the news, not last night because it was all mega millions, but the night before last, uh, anybody know what the big, what's been in the news? Trayvon, you guys know that? Okay, so that's been in the news, right? And so we don't, you can't have the freedom to, um, you know, let's see, civil rights is important, which we'd all agree, civil rights is very, very important. And then uh, the other one was, I don't know if you saw this, but it, and this happened in Dallas, a 70-year-old woman beat a guy with a cane. Anybody see that? Okay, and so then they and so they take her in, and then it becomes a hate crime because she called them homosexual slurs, which is not good. And so I'm not saying that that's that that's right. Please understand me. I'm saying, but you see that the world does care. They don't want the freedom to do whatever they want. You can't hurt somebody, but personally, you you have the freedom to do whatever you want, regardless of the consequences. And I would just argue that sometimes those things, whatever the, the freedom to do whatever you want, has consequences. And the reality of it is, is we want the freedom from integrity. We want the freedom. We want freedom from integrity. Okay, 
And so I just wanted to wrap up, just kind of talk about the, the, uh, the post-modern world. And so everybody with me, as loud as you can, you, you've heard a lot of information. And so as loud as you can, in tune, everybody in sync, say, so what? Ready? One, two, three. So what? Okay, let's do it louder so that third floor can hear us. Ready? One, two, three. So what? All right, let's rock. My name is J.P. Jonathan Bob Pakluda, and I'm here. Yeah, true, true story. True story. That's right. That's right. Um, okay. Here's how we're going to do this at the end. You have, concept, you have questions. Um, and so I want you to get out of this class what you wanted to get out of it. And potentially maybe there's some of you that haven't gotten that yet. And so you can ask questions live for this, the last, let's say, the next 45 minutes. If you have a question, uh, I'll kind of compromise my outline. And just raise your hand, and we'll, we'll address your question and go from there. If it's something that uh, I, I may say, hey, if it's really, really niche, I may say, hey, let's, let's dialogue on that afterwards. Okay? Everybody good with that? All right. So about, I guess about three years ago, um, Monica and I sold our house, and we bought... Uh, we sold our house and, and we couldn't buy a new house. We couldn't find one. And so we looked and, and so there's some major transitions in our lives. I went from being in the sales world to coming to work for the church. And so there's some shifts in our income. Monica worked and then she went to being a stay-at-home mom because we had kids. And so there's all these shifts in our, our financial situation. And now we sold our house and we the, the goal essentially was to buy a bigger house for the same amount of money. Okay, and, uh, and, and so this was a challenge and we couldn't meet that challenge in the time slot that we had it. So what happened was we ended up moving into an apartment kind of month to month or we, had, we signed a three month lease and there was one particular house that I had been in but it was way too much money but it was, it was a big house and um, I, I like strange things uh, sometimes things no one else likes and so this particular house had been vacant for eight years and it wasn't completely vacant it, it was the home to lots of rodents and uh, roaches and things of that nature lots of rats there was actually rats fighting in the living room when we, when we went and saw it and there was a big hole in the living room, but I loved this house, and I thought it was undervalued. I thought that uh, it wasn't undervalued what they were asking, but I thought I could get it at a, a, a value below, but, but I couldn't. I submitted an offer. They didn't even counter. They walked away. And so Monica and I move into an apartment. She's at the store one day, about three months later. We're still in this apartment. Now we've had Presley, our firstborn. And... Um, and I go online, and I just start to wonder about that house. Maybe the Lord brought it to me. I don't under, over, want to over-spiritualize it, but I think He did. And, uh, and so I Google it, and it shows up on an auction. And the auction ends the next day. And, uh, and so I bid. The next thing that you could bid on this auction, true story, was the, the ceiling of what we could spend on a house. True story. And so I bid that. <laughs> While my wife's at the store, and the, and the next day, the next day I get an email that says, "Hey, you've won this house." So I go to her and I'm, "Congratulations, we're homeowners." <laughs> and, and she's like, "Which house?" And I'm like, "You remember the one with the rats doing USC in the living room?" You know? And uh, and I'm like, "Yeah, that's the one." And she goes, "You didn't?" And I said, "I did." Um, and so we go see it, and, and the first day I take her to see it, this is true. I had the plumber go there because there's a big leak underneath, and uh, and so he has to rip up the floor. So there's a ginormous flo- a hole in the living room, and he gets stuck. And so she walks in to see the house, and there's this man stuck in the floor, like half of his body hanging out. There's black mold. That's true. Uh, there was there was just everything horrendous you could think. But there were walls that were falling down, and. Uh, a big leak underneath the house and, and just lots of lots of issues. And so um, it, it, no one had, no human had occupied the house in eight years. 
And so what happened was the, the apartment allowed us the opportunity to bring in uh, people who would rehab the house. And so it was fun to see that process. And so we hired what's called a general contractor. And so this is the man who's in charge. And then he has all of these contractors that work underneath him that do all these things. So we had drywall guys come in and roofing guys and plumbing, you know, plumbers and, and uh, foundation specialists had lots of foundation issues. Foundation specialists come in, painters come in, and then we're doing these finishing touches, you know. And so people that do the finishing touches sorts of things, cabinet guys and trim guys and, and all of that. And so they, all these different, different teams of people working under this general contractor came through the house to make it livable and, and what I like to say what I would tell the neighbors and the neighbors were so thrilled and that was a fun you know moving in the neighborhood and getting to be the heroes because they loved that we were you know they all hated this house it was very near condemned and they loved that there was going to actually have occupants in it and and so I would tell them hey we're slowly bringing this house back to life and we're still doing that even last week now years later last week there were contractors there uh, cha- making some final changes as we can afford it you know and so that's just been fun bringing the house back to life. And the reason I tell you that is because I think that in that process, there's a, um, there's a responsibility for us in this world based on the worldview that we have. Okay? Uh, essentially, the Scripture says that Christ is the head of the church and that we are His bodies. And so what I might tell you along with that illustration is that Christ is the general contractor and we are the workers. Literally, it says we are His body, and I think in your mind you think, oh, well, the church, the body of Christ, you know, the church. No, 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 but you're His hands, His arms, His heart, you know, His feet, that you have this now responsibility based on what you believe about the world. And so your, 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 your beliefs or ideas have consequences is just kind of this thing that we're running with, and so... Let's just talk about that for a minute. So what if I said to you guys, um, I would pay you $1,000 to ask a stranger a question. How many of you would do it? By show of hands, if I'm going to give you $1,000, we just might do this because it's crazy and it's the church's money. So how, it's really your money. How many of you for $1,000 right now would go up and ask a stranger a question? By show of hands. Okay, so a lot of you, most of you. Okay, cool. Um, what if that question is, are you stupid? Does that change? How many of you would walk up to a stranger for a thousand bucks and say, "Are you stupid?" I think boys. Huh? I think boys. Big, <laughs> big guy, big guy. Okay, so so um, but so a lot of people raise their hands. You guys aren't afraid that's going to offend them for a thousand bucks. You can split it. You on the backside say, "Hey, here's the deal." Yeah, <laughs> I like that. I like that. Okay, now, let's say this question. How much of your own money would you spend? Like, so right now, I have someone up here, just crazy hypotheticals today. There's someone up here, and at noon or midnight tonight, they would die. They'd lose their life. This is a young person, let's say 16 years old. And at midnight tonight, they would die unless they had some surgery. They didn't have the money, and you personally would have to pay for it. How much of your own money would you would you put towards that surgery or how much would you be willing to try to raise to save that person's life? I'm asking. I heard whatever it takes. All the money you have. Okay. What is it? What did you say? Depends on the person. Okay. Oh, like, like based on the relationship that you have with them, you mean? Um, okay. 
Okay, and so I would say to those questions, the way I would answer them is for a thousand bucks, I would ask somebody a question, a stranger. For a thousand bucks, I would ask somebody if they're stupid, uh, just with the confidence that I can make that right on the back end. And, uh, and I would be willing to, if that was a real scenario, and it's really hard to put, seriously put our, ourselves in those situations, I would be willing to spend whatever savings we had um, just to save someone's life if that was a real scenario. Okay, so, so here's the deal. The scriptures say that as the hands and feet of Christ, that you know, there's a literal heaven, there's a literal hell, and, and so much of the game changer is based on us just talking to people and sharing truth with them. And it doesn't just save their life. It doesn't save their next 60 years. It saves their afterlife, their forever, their forever and ever and ever and ever. And so if that's true, if we would go up to a stranger and ask them a question for a thousand bucks, if I was to say, hey, would you be willing to walk up to a stranger and share the gospel for a thousand dollars? My guess is every single person in the, in, in the room, their hands would raise. And, and, um, and so why wouldn't we go up to people and, and if we believe that there's a literal heaven, there's a literal hell, and the difference maker is an awareness of Jesus Christ, what he's done for them, his death and resurrection, why wouldn't we go up to people and, and share that truth with them? I'm asking. Yeah, we're scared of how they'll react. We're not so scared of if we call them stupid, but... You are not equipped. People want to be politically correct. We're afraid they're going to call us intolerant, lack of being sold out. What'd you say? Busy with it. Busy with other things. Yes, sir? Yeah, assume, assume for a second. You're absolutely right. Assume for a second, maybe we don't believe it. Maybe we don't believe that they're really going to go to hell. Maybe we don't really believe that we can make a difference. Maybe we don't believe the gospel is really true. Uh, it, it, there's, there's a big idea. There, there's this idea that we believe it, and then there's, this, and then there's the practicality of it, the, the orthopraxy. There's the orthodoxy, that's the awareness of the truth. And then there's the, the orthopraxy, that is, remember we said that your behavior is always going to come from your beliefs. If that's an absolute truth, if your behavior is always going to come from your values, which comes from your belief, which comes from your worldview, then it seems that, and we literally believe that people are going to hell, where they're going to suffer, and we literally believe that the Spirit of God, that all authority has been entrusted to Christ, and that we're His body, and that we can be a game changer then it seems that we would go and share our faith. And so I don't say that to make anybody feel guilty. That's, that's not the point of the exercise. The point of the exercise is just to make the, the observation that our behavior does come from what we believe. And so there are reasons. There's, there's legitimate reasons. Like one is that maybe we just think that we won't be effective. And I get that. So like maybe we just think that on the street evangelism isn't the most effective way and we want to build relationships. And we can, we can debate that for another time. But all this to say is that, that the world is broken. I want to show you that from the Scriptures. And, and that I, I believe that we are the solution. And that almost sounds heretical because you say, no, Christ is the solution. But remember who we are. Who are we? His body. We're His body. The, the Christ, we are the living Christ, the Christ incarnate. We are His body. And so I believe Christ is the solution. He's coming back and He's going to make everything right again. But in between now and then, that's our responsibility that we are. And I'm going to show you that. You don't have to take my word for it. I'm going to show you that from, uh, from the Scriptures. And so... Uh, let me just start in this, and maybe you've heard this before, but I've heard it four times before it really made sense to me, so I'm okay. So there's two problems in the beginning. Um, 
Let me show you those two problems. This is Genesis 1, verse 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Okay, This is what we believe. This is where our biblical worldview begins. That there's a creator and that He created everything. That He created the cosmos as we know it. That's the world. Cosmos is the word in John 3.16. For God so loved the world. The Greek word there is cosmos. For God so loved everything that He gave His only begotten Son. And so in the beginning, God created everything. And so now, now look at these two problems because this is weird. This is a weird description of something that God created. The earth was formless and empty. And that's on your sheet. And so if you have the sheet where you fill in the blank, that might be the most helpful for you. And that's, that, that's two of the blanks there. The earth was formless and empty. If you don't have it, it's up here. Um, if you don't have it, raise your hands and Sammy will get it for you. Or someone will. It's up here. Okay, and so now the earth was formless and empty. And, and so these are two issues in the beginning. And this is, this is really interesting to me. I want, I want you to make sure you leave with this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty. And so what did God begin doing? Huh? Say it again. Filling it and forming it. God began forming and filling the earth. How did He do that? By speaking. What does that tell us about God? Huh? He's powerful. So if I say rhinoceros and a rhinoceros comes up and starts charging, I have power. I have incredible, amazing, tremendous, omnipotent, omniscient power. And so God said it, it was, and the scripture says it was good. God said it, it was, and it was good. What He did specifically, the account in Genesis, it says, then God said, It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. And so then it says that He began to fill and form the earth. He says He separated the upper expanse from the lower expanse. He created the sky and waters. He separated the land. And so what happens when you're giving things boundaries? That's what He's doing. He's giving things boundaries. When you're giving things boundaries, you're forming it. Okay, and then he begins to fill it. He says, animals, whoosh, there's animals. He says, plants, whoosh, there's plants. He says, this, mountains, whoosh, there's mountains. He says, you know, whatever he says, there is. And there's this pattern in Genesis. It's, it's poetic in nature, but it's true. I'm not, I don't think it's just poetry. I think the, the author wrote it poetically, but it, it happened like this. God said it. It was so, and it was good. That's that you see that over and over in Genesis 1. God said it. It was so and it was good. God said it. It was so and it was good. God said it. It was so and it was good. And when do we see the break in that pattern? Man, that's right. When God created man, this is what happens. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule. And so it says that God... <laughs> so a couple things. The first thing is it says, let us make man in our image, which is just curious. Because there was only God, and now he's saying, talking, let us make our man in our. And, and so I believe that's, that's a reference to the Trinity right there in, in Genesis 1. Um, he said, let us make man in our image. And so I don't know, when you guys came in here this morning, you woke up early for training day, I don't know if you have any idea of what it means to be made in the image of God. But it's that story that Sammy told in the very beginning, and his wife, Crystal, saying, hey, I'm a 10 on the beach. I have value because God's given me value. Right? And that's why I would push back a little bit on, on the... Uh, on the how much would you spend on the person, you know, and I, th- I think you know, I, I think I know what you're saying, just based on our relationship. But the reality of it is, that person is as valuable as your mom, as your boss's boss's boss, 
The homeless person on the street has the same value as you do. Your value is not determined based on what you know or your college education. Your value is not determined based on how good you are at something. Your value is given to you before the creation of the world by the, by, by the creator of the heavens and the earth. He, he formed you. You are a part of his plan. And, and that's important. That you're a part of his plan. Like he's doing something. Because he created us in the garden to exist in perfect unity with him. But but being sovereign, he also was aware that we'd run from him. And then he has this big plan to save the world and rescue the world again. And he does that in almost in two parts. Or almost in three parts. He does that by claiming his people through the cross. By his people doing it. And then him coming back to finish the work. You see that? He claims his people there on the cross. He, he, he gives us a way that we can be back together with him. Then he says, okay, now you go and redeem this place. And then he says, hey, I'm going to come back at the end and, and finish the job. Okay, so he makes man in, in, um, in our image. I'm sorry, in his image. And he, he tells us some things. Let me go back to this real quick. So just, uh, just something interesting to note is that in the, in the ancient Babylonian cult, culture, what they would do is people would be stewards of land. They would, uh, or people would be empires of land, rather. They would select stewards because the land was more than they could handle. And so they would select stewards, and then they would put an image of themselves, a bust of themselves there, and say, hey, this land is mine, but this person's a steward. And God does that all in, in one clean kind of swipe. He makes man in his image saying, hey, and I want you to steward over this. I want you to be in charge of this. Does that make sense? Okay, what does it mean to be made in the image of God? Let me ask like this. Does it mean that, that we look like God? What does it mean? Okay, ability to know beauty. To rule. Somebody came to Sunday and listened. <laughs> yeah, I think I think it's a responsibility. It's a responsibility, and, and that responsibility is to rule. Remember, God in the beginning, the earth was formless and void. God begins to form and fill. What He does there is He creates man in His image, and there's this transfer of responsibility. Genesis is rich, man. There's this transfer of responsibility to us. He He says, "Hey, this is I, this is all mine, but now you're in charge of it." And so I want you to give the la- I want you to give the animals names, and I want you to, to declare dominion over this stuff. And then He gives us a command. He says, "This is specifically what I want you to do." He goes, he goes, I want you to rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. You are to rule. Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule, is what God says. He says, hey, you have this command. Now you have this authority. I have ultimate authority as God, but now I've built you in my image, and I've transferred some authority to you. You are to rule over this place. I rule over everything. I rule over the cosmos, but I've put you here, and I've, put, I've made you in charge. And I made you in my image. And it's, you know, everybody is made in the image of God. Every human being. Human beings are made in the image of God. Whether we do that well or whether we don't, we are, we're made in the image of God. And so this is what happens then, right? Uh, he says, hey, he goes, he goes, fill the earth. He, he gives man a command. He goes, be fruitful and increase in number. This is Genesis 128. Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. In the beginning, the earth was formless and void. Formless and empty. God formed and filled the earth. God made man in his image, and his first command of man is, I want you to fill, and I want you to form. 
You see this transfer of responsibility here? The, the word subdue there is, is, you know, you can subdue several things. You can subdue a cockroach, which means you kill it, or uh, that's not the way that it means. Uh, the Hebrew word there means like you would subdue a rose bush, that you would cultivate it, that you would form it, that you would trim it back and life would bust forward. That, that's, that was man's responsibility, that we're to fill the earth and that we're to form the earth, that we're to, to subdue it. Okay, so what happens then? What happens? Huh? The fall? What does that mean? Yeah, it's like we weren't happy with representing God. Like we, we weren't happy with just our little, our little you know, area to play, like our little world that God said, hey, I want you to form and fill it. And we're kind of like, much like Satan did really before then. You know, Satan said, hey, I want to be God. That We did the same thing. We're like, well, we want to be God. We want the knowledge of God. We want the information of God. God, you can't tell us, you can't tell us to stay away from something. You, know, you can't say, hey, just play in the house, have fun, but there's some gasoline over there, don't play with matches. Now, we, if we want to play with matches, we want freedom. Much like the postmodernism era, right? We want the freedom to do whatever we want, God. Okay, so don't tell me, don't be giving me rules and regulations like I can't eat from this tree. I want to eat from whatever tree I want. And so this is the, the illustration with the, the, my ball of wax here. It's like if the ball of responsibility was given to us. And I say this because I don't know that we fully have ever grasped, or at least I didn't, even, even being on staff at a church. Until I went through this program, I never really grasp the, grasp the consequences of the fall. And so what happens in that before the fall, we're in perfect unity with God. We're, we're talking to Him and He's talking to us. And, we, and we're in perfect unity with, with creation. Man and woman, it's beautiful. There's no shame in that relationship. There's no baggage in that relationship. And then we're, we're perfect relationship with creation. You know, we're there. Lions are walking up and you're petting them and playing with them and rolling on the ground. You're not getting eaten by them. You know, and, and, the, and the ground is just like bursting forth with whatever you need to eat from and and, and this, everything is working in perfect harmony. And so just to, to clarify those relationships, our relationship with God is perfect. Our relationship with ourself is perfect. There's no self-hate. There's no shame. There's no guilt. Our relationship with ourself, there's no depression. Our relationship with ourself is perfect. Our relationship with others is perfect. Okay? There's no baggage in that. And then our relationship to creation is perfect. And so if this is the ball of responsibility and God said, hey, I've created this place. I want you to form and fill it. And this is the ball of responsibility. And he passes this to us. We drop the ball. And there was a fracture in everything. Everything just kind of is broken at that point. What relationships were broken of those, of those I just named? All of them. All of them. Our relationship to God. Our relationship to ourselves. We're insecure now. We think about ourselves a lot. We think about what others think of us. We walk into a room, we feel like everybody's talking about us now. We lay in bed and we wonder like how we can get better or faster or better looking. We're insecure. Our relationship with others just has baggage, conflict. And then our relationship with creation, he, he says it, look this. Remember the beginning, form and fill. Now to, he says to the woman, this is Genesis 3.16, this is post-fall. To the woman, he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. What just happened? To specifically to what command? Filling the earth just got difficult. 
It just got hard. Now because of the fall, God's command to fill the earth just became difficult. And the pain you will give birth to your children, your desire will be for your husband or your, or your husband's role. And he will rule over you. To Adam he said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Okay, through painful toil you will eat of it. Now watch this, that's underlined. Through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat of the plants. What just happened there? Forming the earth just got difficult because of the fall. Now it wars against us. We, we try to shape it and it fights against us now. And, and whose fault was it? Is, it? is it fair that we live under the curse that Adam and Eve brought forth? Is that fair? One, I don't think it's fair, just so you know where I stand. Uh, but also, I think I would do it all over again. And so here's evidence, is when I leave this room, I'm going to try with all of my might not to sin. But the law exposes in me that I'm a sinner. And that if I was in the garden, I would have eaten the fruit. I would have wanted to be like God. And, and what that means is I need someone to save me. Someone bigger than me to save me. I need someone to come into my world and to save me. The law can't save me. The law just shows me that I'm nasty. That I that left to myself, I want to be like God, and that I need God to come in and intervene and to and to save me. And so, forming and filling the the earth just got difficult. These are the results of the fall. And so, this is what we this is what we live in. And so, um, how how is God going to fix this? How does Jesus fix this? He takes the punishment is what I heard. He gives us new life. He was the sacrifice that was necessary. He reconciles us to the Father. What does that mean though? That He reconciles us to the Father? He repairs, he repairs and restores relationships. How does He do that though? Like, how does that, I mean, I think that's absolutely true, but it doesn't logically make sense to me, if I'm honest. Like, how does Jesus restore relationships? Through Spirit? Yeah, I think that's true. He's filling gaps. I like it. Yeah, so they had the sacrificial system in the Old Testament that ultimately didn't cover up their sins, ultimately. And so God sent an ultimate sacrifice too. I think all that's true. Uh, it, here's what it is, is, is now there was a consequence for the sin in the garden. Jesus comes and Jesus pays the ultimate consequence, setting us free from, from the big picture consequence which is everybody that God puts on this place is now running to hell as fast as they can. Jesus comes, he, paid, he endures hell for us, and all we need to do is acknowledge His payment of hell, and now we have eternal life. And what does eternal life allow us to do? Have communion with God. It, it does one day, right? But it, it does something else. And this is sometimes, I think, forgotten. It allows us to hold this life really loosely. Like, this world doesn't matter all that much. Like, it's like if tomorrow, if I, if I said, hey, all you've got to do is endure tomorrow, and the rest of your days are going to be perfect. Like, you're going to wake up tomorrow with this, with this, like, it's almost like Groundhog Day, if you've ever seen that movie. <laughs> you know, at the end of it, he's just like, who cares? And he's like, knocking people out. Oh, man. Sorry. 
Somebody tell me never to fight on the stage. Uh, and so, you know, at the end of the Groundhog Day, like, he just has this ability to, uh, you know, not really the end, but in the middle, when he realizes what's happening, he's living the same day over and over, he's, really, he's able to hold it really loose. He's, he's like, hey, it doesn't matter that much. Like, that's what eternity does for us. That's an eternal, that's a biblical worldview, is you realize this world doesn't matter because there's this other world to come, right? And so when you realize this other world to come, it's like all of a sudden, you can change your... So, so Sammy started with that story about the guy, in, you know, at... at um, at his company saying, hey, this is what you need to do. Sammy, what was it? The, the sacrifice and what was it? Yeah, sacrifice, ambition, and capabilities. Like these, this is what needs to be important to you. And Sammy just said, hey, that could be Christian. Like you could, but it's all why. If you're saying, hey, sacrifice, uh, capabilities, and what? Oh, ambition. If you're saying, hey, that, that, now I need to really get after it so I can have as much money as I possibly can save so that I can build the biggest kingdom that I can possibly build so that I can die and rot in the ground. Like it becomes really illogical. So do we live like this world doesn't matter? Do we live like this world doesn't matter? I absolutely don't. A lot of times, I don't. And for some of those, that's the reason I don't walk up to the stranger and say, hey, let me ask you a question. Do you know Jesus? Do you believe there's a heaven and a hell? And do you believe that outside of a, of, of a saving knowledge and trust in Jesus Christ that you'll go to hell? Where it's worse than anything that we can imagine in this world. Because I, I get really distracted by this world. You know, that there's this prince of this world. He's, he's Satan. And, and, and he, he lures me. I have this flesh that loves the world. And then the world is just a lot of temptation in and of itself. And so I get really focused on this world. What I would tell you is a biblical worldview allows you to hold this world really loosely and say, hey, I've got some time left. I've got some days left. I don't, you know, I don't know how much. Maybe today, maybe 24 hours, maybe 20 years, m- maybe 50 years, you know, depending on where you're at on that, that spectrum and, and just statistics in general and, you know, the will of God. He says He numbers your days. And, and so you've got some time left and you can do some stuff with your life. And there's all these things that play into that. And so what are some of the plans? Some of the same stuff that that guy said at that company, your, your capabilities, your, your skills. God made you who you are. He gave you a mind. You're all different. Like I'm looking around the room. Y'all look different. Y'all talk different. You all came from different schools. Some of you said UT. Some of you said A&M. And you, you have different educations. Right? You have different life experiences. Things have happened to you. Some things good, some things bad. But even the, you know what I've, I've learned, and this is the great thing about God, is I've learned that some of the bad things that have happened to you become your greatest tools. Your, your greatest ministry tools. That's crazy to me. You know, you know what God uses more than anything else? Like He doesn't use, like He gave me this ability to, to do art and to draw. And it seems that He doesn't use um, those abilities in my life very much. He uses the fact that I was a drunk. And I love to party on Lower Greenville. That, that's what he uses in my ministry, probably more than anything else. And, and so like, what I've seen is like girls who have had abortions, okay? like, that, like that decision has owned them for so long, and then all of a sudden Jesus Christ comes in their life, they, they realize that he died on the cross for that decision to set them free from that, that they can be reconciled to God. And then what they do is they have this ability to, to say that to others, hey, I had an abortion. And when they do, other girls say, well, I did too, but I thought I'd never tell anybody. Like, yeah, but there's freedom when I tell somebody. 
and, and the enemy loosens his grip, and then all of a sudden that decision becomes this incredible ministry tool that they use. And then I've seen these ministries born around these young women who had made this decision. And so I don't know what that was for you, but it might have been sex on prom night. It, it, it might be that by the grace of God, he spared me from a lot of, of hurt and heartache because my parents were strong believers and I was raised up in that. And so while I saw my friends making decisions, like, like I've heard Todd say this, and this was just really powerful to me. He said that... Um, he said that he learned that all that matters was God when really everyone had turned their back on him. And he became incredibly unpopular, and he was okay. And so maybe that's your story. It's like you just realized, hey, loving Jesus was all you had, and, and you realized it was enough. And so I, I say that. I don't know what it is for you. you you've got to know, though. Like, you've got to know what your ministry tools are. You've got to know what your life experiences are. Like, you've got to know um, what what has happened to you, and then how can you use that and leverage that to what? To put this place back together. Because it's really broken. And so like, so like, I'll just run with some of the examples I said. Like, like if you were a drunk, what I know is, like the porch, I'll just talk about the porch for a second. On Tuesdays, there's lots of drunks in that room. And they might think that the guy who has never experienced what they've experienced can't relate to them, but someone who has can. And that's the ministry of reconciliation that steps into the slide. Because, or so like if you've had an abortion, right? Like it's, it's your, 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 your duty, your responsibility as, as a believer to, to confess that, to shine light on that, and to let God use that for all things work together for the good of those who love Him, that, that God is working all things, even our really, really crappy, really bad decisions, God's using to, to bring this place back together. And so, um, what, is, what, is, uh, what are some words in, in the New Testament for uh, the Gospel? What is it? Redeem. Renew, reconcile, re words. What else? Restore, what else? Reconcile, re- reborn, rebirth, what else? Repent, that's a good one. Regeneration, that's a good one. Renewed, redemption, what else? Truth, life. You got off my re. So what does re mean? Again. Again, do you see that now? We have this responsibility as believers to make things what they were meant to be. To bring the kingdom here again. You know, when my, when my daughters do something, when Presley and Finley do something, um, I, don't, I don't like fly in and always make it better. Like a lot of times what I'll do is like, hey, you, you, you did this, now you, you fix it. And, that, and that's what we're doing a little bit. He's going to fix it. Like, don't get me wrong. I know Jesus is coming back. I've read the Bible. But, but in the meantime, there is this, there's this season of, hey, you did this. Now you fix it. I know you think all these things are important in your life. And they are. And God is a good God. And He allows you to enjoy things like walks on the beach, flying a kite, and watching a football game or whatever that is for you. But there's this other thing that's a lot more important. The world is really jacked up. So jacked up that, that for, for a day we could just talk about how jacked up the world is. And you would leave here 
with at least a momentary depression. If we talked about the, the sex trafficking that's going on right now, if we talked about the average age of that being 11, if we talked about the millions of girls who are, are literally slaves today, that there's more slaves today than there's ever been in the world today, if we just talked about, I mean, that's just a taste. If we just talked about the idea that 20,000 Presleys and Finleys will die today because they don't have enough water to drink. Literally, 20,000 children. Now, it doesn't, matter because, it doesn't matter that much because it's not your children, but if it were your children, all of a sudden it would matter. Right? And so there's these things that we're tasked to do. The, the, the fatalist view is, hey, we can't, we can't fix it. What can we do? But God says that He's given us a ministry of reconciliation in Ephesians. I read it. That he, it says that in the, in the Bible that all authority has been given to Christ who is the head of the church. And this is the thing that you've got to understand. is Christ is authoritative over the atheist. He's authoritative over the Muslim. He's authoritative over the agnostic. He's authoritative over every single thing. Over every rhinoceros and hippopotamus. Over every puppy dog and flower. Over everything. He has authority. There's a, there's a quote by Piper. I'll try to find it. I know it's on the slides and you have it written down. But I said Piper and I mean Piper. Um, does somebody have that right in front of them that you can read? Go ahead. There's not a square inch in the whole domain of human existence over which Christ who is sovereign over all does not pride mind. There is not a square inch over every human existence over which Christ who has all authority does not stand over and cry out mine and so as his body as Jesus' body everywhere we go what we do is we cry out his and we are reconciling things to him and so what does this matter in the, in the, in the term of, in the sense of biblical worldview we're putting things back together we are giving them purpose we're making them beautiful there was a slide that Bobby was going to show you in, in the postmodernism. Uh, error, you know, the, we value freedom. And to illustrate that, I'll just show you is like if if you were to watch the progression of art, like there was this this idea where art was was um, it was in impressionistic, not by design but by ability. What I mean by that is is people didn't have the skills and capabilities to make it look real. They're painting on the walls of caves or whatever, right? And, and so they didn't have the skills and capabilities or the resources to make it look real. And so it just looked like an impression. Like you'd have to figure it out. Oh, I think that's an elephant. And then we grew in our skills and capabilities. And all of a sudden people could paint like it was a photograph. And you had the, this, the realist view of art, right? And, and, then, and so now what is valued in the postmodern era? What is valued in art? I'll give you a hint. I told you at the beginning. What do we value in postmodernism? What? Freedom. Do you know freedom? Do you know what they're doing now? Is there, 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 there's a guy, literally, he sells blanks canvases, and he calls it art. Why? Because i got the freedom. Art is what I say it is. I define it as art. It doesn't matter if it's beautiful. It's art because I say so. There's another guy who, who uh, he's a sculptor. All he does is take urinals and put them up. There's another guy who dropped a, dropped a, uh, a cross in a, in a glass of urine. And called that art, and, and it's worth millions of dollars. There's another guy who puts basketballs in, in aquariums and says, hey, that's art and sculpture. And it is because I say so. And it sells for, million, I think it's worth $2 million. You see that? Like, art's no longer beautiful. Your responsibility as people who understand is you're making things beautiful again. And when you look at something and you say, hey, I can't make that beautiful. Like you consider your boss or your work, your relationship at work or your team or some girl who you don't know. And you say, hey, that's beyond hope. You're saying God is not big enough. 
God is not big enough. His authority, He's not all authoritative. And He can't work through me to redeem that situation. And I promise you He can. The question is how. Okay, I'm going to stop there for the sake of, of time. And just in case you have anyone in child care, you'll have to get them in the next two minutes. Uh, well, I'll say, I'll say five minutes. Uh, you'll need to go and get them. But just what questions do you guys have based on what you've heard? Yeah. Well, I think he gave us a new way to do that. And so in, in the Great Commission, he says, go into all the earth and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so now, so, so now that gives you know, the, my single friends in the room a task, right? It's not about procreation in the sense that, uh, that you have to have babies to make disciples, it's, it's you, can, you can influence others and make disciples. And that having babies is now just a way to accomplish that. And that's what Samuel was talking about. See, there's a big debate right now whether uh, Christianity or the Islamic faith is the fastest growing world religion. And, uh, I, I, you know, a lot of, most statistics, I think, say Christianity is. But if it wasn't, if it was the Islamic faith, it's not due to evangelism. It's due to births. They're just having more children. And so really, this procreation is just another way to make disciples. And you can certainly make disciples without procreating. Sammy and Bobby, if you guys want to come up or, you know, in case anyone has questions for you guys, you don't have to either. But it's a great question, Chris. Does that answer it? What about it? We are still called to form and fill the earth. And, and you still have the authority. That's what happened at the, at the cross, is your authority is given back to you through Christ. You still have the authority. But it's like, it's like this power that you don't realize you have. And so like if you've ever seen this in a movie, it happens in movies. All of the, all of the things in the scriptures, the gospel is just played out in Disney and other movies in different ways, which I love. You know, there's always a kingdom and a curse, and then somebody comes in and lifts the curse. That, that's the gospel, essentially. But this other thing that happens is there's you know, a movie with, uh, think about the Incredibles, or some, you have some superhuman power, and it's like you have it because of who your father is, but you don't realize you have it, and there's someone there trying to convince you that you have it. It's like, no, you have it. No, you can like shoot an orb and you know shoot fire or whatever. That <laughs> it just got weird. But uh, but you can you can do this, right? Like you can do this. That's kind of what we're coming to the realization is is that all authority has is Christ and we are His body. And, and so essentially, the Spirit in your life is saying, no, you can do this. You can do this. You can do this. You, and you're coming to the realization that you can overcome your struggles, the Holy Spirit through you, and you can help and heal the, the situations of others. And, and you, you're coming, the Spirit is doing that through you. Does that make sense? What you got? Oh yeah, there's some evaluations if you pick that up. Um, fill that out. If you, yeah, please, please don't leave without leaving one for us. Yes, sir, in the back. Oh, evaluation. Anything like you'd hope to get that you haven't yet that we can just dialogue because we'll hang out for a minute. Yes? No, it's definitely debated. I, I, I think it means the Trinity. Um, because, be, yeah, because it says, yeah, because it says, let us make man in our image. Um, but uh, but there, there's debate around that. So I know with no level of certainty. It's a great question. Yeah, there, there's definitely debate around it. I think so. Yeah, I'll, but to make sure, I'll, I'll repeat it back to you. If, if, if I can think of a situation where I'm supposed to... Uh, uh, um, 
yeah, come into and speak beauty and truth and, and repair or reconcile. Right? Reconcile, the word reconcile just means to bring back to harmony, the harmony that was meant in the beginning. And so God says in, in 1 Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, that, that we, he's, been given us a, he's given us a ministry of reconciliation. And so you're saying how. And, and so I want to, I want, uh-huh. so it's a two-part, two-part answer. First part, I would say, just to clarify the question, that there's more in the world that you, than, than um, it, you know, if you, they, they say paralysis by analysis. Right, and so you can sit there and say, "Well, what do I need to do, and where do I go, and whatever," and then you could focus on one specific thing. But but I think the Christian life, and that's good, and that's just apply strategy to that, and strategy is good. But the Christian life is is also wherever you go, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, speak beauty and truth into that, redeem those situations, resolve conflict, make beautiful again. I mean, and that could be anything. Like I was in a bathroom the other day, <laughs> true story, a public bathroom. I was like, man, this is gross. And it shouldn't be. And I'm going to clean it. Just, just, to, just because that that idea is is been made so real to me. You know, it's like, hey, there's no one there. There's no one. There's 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 no one caught, making me do this. But why why would I make sure somebody else does that if I have the time and the resources now to do this? I want to make this place beautiful again. <laughs> and this is gross, right? And so, but the, but to do that anywhere. And so the how, the the more practical answer to your question is a lot of things. Accountability. You get brothers around you, brothers and and, and sisters if you're a, a female around you to that that you're all marching towards this thing and you're asking these questions. Hey, what did that look like today? And and they're praying for situations because prayer is probably our most powerful tool. If God is if God is sovereign, which I believe He is, God is sovereign because God is sovereign and, and controls all things and can do anything. One of the the most powerful tools of reconciliation that we have is um, is prayer, right? I said I said our story earlier, but prayer is even more powerful. Is that that we would just sit there and, and so you get guys around you and say, hey, would you please pray as I go into this situation? It's going to be ugly, uh, to be honest. Uh, in my heart, I don't think it's going to have a good outcome, but I know that God is big and that He can. Would you guys please pray that He does and that I wouldn't get in the way of that by being angry or becoming like this or becoming fatalistic, that I would continue to speak truth into that situation. And so I think accountability plays a role. I think all of your spiritual disciplines play a role to continue to go back to the Word, to continue to see the commands of Scripture in this, in, in to do this. Because see, I've read, how many times have you read Genesis, right? I've read Genesis a bunch of times. I've never seen that that form. So the earth was formless and void. God formed and filled. Then he makes man, says man, form and fill. Then sin happens and form and filling is difficult. I've never seen that before. And so there's this, but that command is right there in the very beginning. You know, and so there's just there's an importance to the spiritual disciplines and to continue to renew our minds. Do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, right? That's the whole idea, that you're in this world and the world is distracting. Do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by what? the renewing of your mind, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. It's Romans 12, 1 and 2. And so that, that, that's this, this idea, is that we're in this world, this world is really distracting, but we've got to go back and renew our minds around the things that are important, the things of God, so that we will be able to test and approve what God's will is in any given situation. So Romans 12, 1 and 2 is part of the answer. Yes, sir? He, said, he says the church or ruling club, where we uh, come together, we pray together, and we go out and make uh, ruling beauty. What do you think? Yeah, I think, I think it is. There's this big debate, like people Christians debate about stupid things. Uh, we just like to 
we just like to debate and do nothing sometimes, which is sad. But uh, there's a big debate, like, what is God's plan for the Like, somebody said the church is God's plan for the world. And then people are like, that's heresy. You know, Christ is God's plan for the world. And I just say, it's too, we're talking two in the same, right? We get caught up on semantics, and so there's always a risk. Is, is the church a ruling club? Well, sure. You know, it's supposed to be. It's the bride of Christ. Um, but it, I'm sure you could take that illustration too far and it'd break down. Yes, sir. Yeah, that's a great question. The whole point of a worldview is is really to replace a lens. Like we all see the world through a different lens, um, and we've been fed that lens, we've been given that lens, and so a biblical worldview goes back to to give us the 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 right and correct lens to see the world through. And so the having that lens really drives the how. And so I, I think your question it might be like, hey, how do I make sure that I keep that lens? Like, how do I make sure to continue to renew my mind around that? And there's all sorts of resources. Bobby talked about a couple books earlier. There's the ColsonCenter.org. That's a free resource to you. Colson, C-O-L-S-O-N, Center.org. There's Breakpoint, uh, Breakpoint.org. Breakpoint.org. That's John Stone Street. A lot of what you've heard us said today is just stuff that we've regurgitated and paid $1,000 to hear. And so you guys get to hear it for 15 or whatever you paid. Uh, There's a question here. Yeah, you guys need to go. If, particularly if you, if you have a child in childcare, you have to go right now. Um, you absolutely have to. But go ahead. Where are they? It's a, it's a, it's a great question. It's kind of the God's sovereignty versus free will sort of thing. And, uh, wow, we don't have time to answer that. So <laughs> we'll do it. Here's, here's what I would say is, is um, you know, you have the, the command in... Uh, Second Peter three nine, you know, um, God is not patient with you, or God is not slow in keeping His promises, as some understand slowness, but He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And so I really wrestle with that, in the sense that, and then you read in Ephesians that God chose, you know, and He, he predestined before creation. And so he, here's the best illustration I've got is, is essentially like He put us here, and His His first desire is that we would love and care and serve for Him. Like, we would love and care and serve him like that's his his first desire but that there has to be some element of free will otherwise we'd be robots that worshiped him and and we take our free will and and literally from the second that he put us here well maybe not the second but shortly thereafter we run from him we ran towards hell and uh and then god in his grace and his mercy and so everybody's running towards hell from the second they're born and god in his mercy grabs some but the 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 um the cultivation and the the um, the forming and feeling becoming difficult is not a doing of God. It is it's it's a it's the result of our of our decision to run from Him, and then the earth is fractured. And that's a that's the thing that's really important is just to get our minds around how fractured the world really is by that decision. Because in in that moment, that that relationship with us and Him it's broken. God God saying, Hey, here I'm here, and you can trust me. And that decision was an act of, hey, I no longer trust you. And so now that perfect pipeline is just fractured and is nasty. And then this one is fractured, and this one is fractured, and this one is fractured. And then what Christ did is He came and He repaired all of those all of those relationships by by taking on the consequence of that decision. And as we acknowledge that, it gives us the ability to, to leverage this life for for the next, both for ourselves, others, creation, and God. Hey, let me pray, and then if you, if you have something, um, we'll hang out for a minute. 
God in heaven, thanks for these uh, thanks for these guys and girls in the room. And, and Lord, I just pray that you bless them. Father, I pray that you would uh, supernaturally, in your sovereignty, uh, make this information digestible to them. And I pray that they would retain that which you want them to and that which will shape their lives for your glory and for your honor. And uh, anything that the three of us said that just is not... Um, is not consistent with your word, and not consistent with who you are, Lord, that I pray they'd be forgotten before they leave. And I pray that you would, by the power of your spirit, uh, enable all of us to live according to this, these truths, and that you would continue, by the power of your spirit, to give us a biblical worldview, that we would see the world as you have intended us to. And, Lord, I pray that you would help us to have the power, the authority, and, and the tools and materials and resources to repair the world according to your will. And, Father, we love you. We praise you for Jesus. Amen.